Hello and welcome back to Booze, Booms and Busts, yet another irregularly posted episode of the podcast where we drink some booze, or don't in my case, <laughs> and discuss the latest events in markets. My name is Boa Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkring. Sam, how are you getting on this week? I'm getting on pretty well, thanks to carrying the load once again of the consumption of beer uh, of the two of us. Two weeks, Sam, a fortnight. I've got a fortnight more to go. You know, just before we started going live, actually, I was looking up because I've never done uh, like a Lent quite like this before. Mm. And I was actually looking up when exactly I can start drinking again. And I think it's going to work out uh, with Thursday at midnight. Well, it's Thursday the 14th at midnight. So, uh, yeah, two weeks. So I'm curious, though, what time zone is that applicable to? Is that applicable to the first time zone that actually moves to that day, like over Australia way, over the Pacific? Or do you have to wait until the time zone that you're in? Good question. I uh, I would assume it's just done from what, whenever you started it to make sure it's a 40-day period. That's a good point. Uh, but yeah, apparently Catholics do things slightly differently. So I'm, uh, I'm checking up all the, all the differences <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> I want to know what the Copts do. What do, do, do the Copts uh, do Lent? Probably. They got I, do I do not know. This is definitely not an area of my expertise. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Anyway, uh, there are plenty of uh, things to discuss this week in the markets, as ever. Uh, where shall we start, Sam? Um, yeah, and also, what are you drinking? Well, I can, definitely, I can definitely start with what I'm drinking. Um, so I've, I've, in the spirit of Italy not qualifying for this year's World Cup, which is quite something considering they won the Euros not that long ago, uh, I had a couple of Italian beers the other day that I'd not had before. And I've, I've kept with that theme. And I've got a beer here, which is uh, Birifico, Angelo Peretti, Italian Hop Masters. It is, a, it is a premium lager, smooth and aromatic, uh, brewed with four hop varieties. They make a great deal of putting four hops on their label, but it is a hop grown in Italy. Um, 5% ABV, um, pretty sort of standard Italian style kind of label thing here, but um, I've never had this before. I saw it and I was like, I've never had that before. I've never even heard of Birifico. Angelo Peretti. It sounds like it's probably Audi's version of Bira Moretti, but I didn't get it at Audi. I got it at my local uh, wine merchant. So who knows? <laughs> mm, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Yeah. Who can source the uh, the mystery beer? I'm curious as to what I'm, I'm trying to find out what are the hop varieties that they have used. They, they're not very forthcoming uh, in telling you what are the four hot varieties all it says is four lupoli l-u-p-p-o-l-i lupoli hops four just four a lot of fours everywhere mm. oh bad very bad uh very bad luck over in uh, southeast asia eh? is it oh no what's their lucky their lucky number is eight isn't it yeah, but four sounds like the word for death in all the languages in that area so they uh, they avoid it wherever possible yeah, that's is that is that why there's like there's probably I'm guessing there's like no fourth floor on a lot of their um, buildings, just like yeah, there's no thirteenth yeah. floor on a lot of. Yeah, they skip it, and there's um same same with uh, apartments and stuff, and uh, 
Uh, and of course, room numbers in hotels and things to get they get rid of. I mean, that's really when you think about it, that is just ridiculous. It's pretty crazy, uh, especially when you get to like the mega hotels in places like Shanghai, where they're you know tens of of stories high, and there's no fortieth yeah. floor. It's like so, there are two floors missing. It's not just the fourth; it's the fortieth as well. Like, uh, I mean, they go that. I mean, just if you were the person building that, just figuring out exactly how many rooms you need to build, it must be very confusing. Well, especially because there is still a fourth floor. I mean, if you're going to have a fifth floor, there you is. have to have a fourth floor. You don't have to call it the fourth floor, but it is absolutely still a fourth floor. This reminds know. me. I don't, I don't yeah, buy into okay, the superstition thing. Are you a superstitious person at all? Um, that's a good question. Am I superstitious? Probably in a little way, yeah. But it's not with set out things. It's just in my own experience, if something's gone wrong when I've done something one way, I'll probably not do it and try and do it another way, even if it's really, really small, you know. Mm. Um, are you superstitious at all, Sam? I don't think so. Like, I, I never intentionally uh, do something because I believe if I do it a different way, it's going to bring me some sort of bad luck outcome. Um, I might be... A little bit pedantic about how I do things, but that doesn't mean that if I do it wrong, I'm going to lose my fucking mind or anything like that. So I wouldn't say right, that's so like a ritual thing, right? Um, it's probably more just like it's not like an OCD thing, but it's just like a I don't know how I'm wired. <laughs> mm. One thing I guess that would probably mark me out as being like weirdly superstitious and stuff we're speaking to a few of our colleagues who work specifically in investment cycles research mm. there's some very interesting stuff on planetary cycles uh, which does tie in with zodiac stuff which i find very interesting um mm. and so you know the um yeah so like 30 year cycles are effectively the, the cycles of saturn around the earth and they're, you know, so the cycles of Saturn just kind of coincide with that for various things. And you find similar, uh, similar stuff with other planets and stuff like that. And nobody really knows why, what, what's going on with it. And, uh, but I find that very interesting. And I wouldn't be at all surprised. I don't, I don't find it hard to believe that prices and cycles of human behavior follow, can be, can be sort of tracked in that kind of way. Mm. Um, so like with Akil Patel, he's written some good stuff on why, well, it's not why, but just pointing out that weird stuff happens during full moons and markets. And it's not every time, but it's, you know, there's a high regularity of it happening and things like that. Um, I guess that just if being open to that would, does that make me superstitious? No, I think it makes you open-minded, <laughs> which is a good, it was a good thing, you know, natural curiosity, which I think a lot of people don't have natural curiosity and don't and, and that would probably look at something like that and just go, bah, it's, yeah. it's rubbish, right? Rather than going, okay, what if, right? Well, maybe what if, what if you can actually track it all? Maybe that's the key to being the world's greatest investor is to actually follow Saturn's cycle. That's all you had to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> well, some people claim that 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 is the case with a guy called W.D. Gann, mm. G-A-N-N, -N, uh, and his time in the early 1900s as a speculator. He was so he supposedly became very very wealthy. Though people, there are very few sources that actually uh, that are convincing with how wealthy he actually became. And right. some people say it was selling his uh, his his trading courses that was how he made money and things. However, there. Are, 
it's you can't say he didn't have a big impact on technical analysis because GAN lines, G-A-N-N lines, uh, you do find in uh, all over the place. A lot of people use them uh, very frequently. And this guy was crazy into astrology, and he wasn't just into astrology. He was into like vibration stuff, saying the you know your the vibration of your body and your consciousness is what uh, can influence the universe and things like that. Very much into uh, into into well, I guess we'd call superstitious or or Nixon would just uh, dismiss uh, dismissed as being a hippie. Uh, but <laughs> hippie there's plenty of um, yeah. Uh, one thing I remember, I wonder, I spoke to Akil Patel, who we had on here uh, a while back about this kind of thing. And uh, he said, he uh, commented that, that he, he'd known uh, people who were traders, uh, proprietary traders at investment banks who did use planetary cycles in their trading. Uh, but of course, these guys have no incentive to say that they're doing that. No. Number one, you don't want anyone else to make money the way you're making money because that's how you're making money. You have an edge that no one else has. And at the same time, you're just going to get ridiculed. There's, there's no point in telling other people about that if uh, if you're making loads of money from it. Like the, it, There's no advantage to you sharing the fact that actually you're using horoscopes to make money, um, which I find very interesting. Like, What are the weird ways of making money in the market? that no one talks about number one because it's making them lots of money and number two because you wouldn't believe it if you if you told them you know <laughs> i quite like that idea like i i struggle to think so i i, I kind of uh, it, it it plays games in my mind because on one hand i really struggle to draw a parallel between how prices move and where a planet exists in relation to the earth but yeah I do believe that some of those things can influence how people behave, even if it doesn't actually have an impact on how they behave. If someone thinks that it has an impact on how they behave, it adjusts how they actually do behave. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's kind of one of those situations where maybe those cycles do actually affect how humans behave and that absolutely has a massive effect on how the markets behave and so then sort of by association then you can kind of say that that those cycles of lunar cycles or planetary cycles or whatever they might be do impact the markets because they impact the people that do impact the markets if you know what i mean mm. yeah. but I, I but i do struggle with the concept that or maybe that is maybe that is the whole point of these cycles is that it's not the planet doing it it's the perception that the planet's doing something to somebody which is then actually changing how they behave yeah you can end up in all these loops like where where it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because enough mm. people believe it but at the mm. same time well it will there's a there are sort of two sides to this so um there was a very interesting article actually on um in the ft a couple of years it's pre woo flus in 2019 uh, on uh, the rise of millennial astrology. And so <laughs> astrology has seen a huge boom oh, really? uh, in, amongst millennials. So uh, astrology was dying in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but in the, in the, from the noughts to specifically the 2010s and, and now into the 2020s, astrology is having a massive comeback. And uh, all these apps are really helping out with it. So there's, right. a, there's an app called CoStar, which uh, you know is is just like uh, it's a mobile app, but you enter your birth time and date and whatever, and it uses supposedly NASA <laughs> NASA tracking stuff to find out exactly where the stars are and whatever. Oh, wow. And it's all it's it's all um, 
uh, it's, it's not algorithm, it's all like auto-generated. So it's it's not like somebody writes it. It's if X, then Y kind of thing. Yeah. And the the people who use it get daily insights and whatever. Anyway, <laughs> what 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 really struck me about it was not only was it CoStars is based in New York and they've they've got it they've managed to get huge amounts of funding from venture capitalists, but I think it was something like a third of uh, of women in uh, in the state, or what well, maybe not a third, but it was a huge proportion of, of women aged from uh, 18 to 30, I think, mm. ha- had this installed on their app, on their phone. It was an enormous, if it wasn't a third, it was either a fifth or a third, I think. Uh, just an extraordinary number of, uh, of ladies who had this on their phone. And when you think about it, um, it's like, well, it's like people haven't changed that much. Thing is, when it comes to whether people believing in things and then acting on it, if astrology was really out of, out of touch, out of, you know, no one was interested in the 80s and 90s, I guess it wouldn't have affected the markets during that period. But now, because it would be all the kids really believe in astrology, maybe now is the time when you should be paying attention to astrology and what's going on there. Well, so that's maybe that's like the, the trick, right, is to track the popularity of astrology. And then that's when you use astrology to figure out the markets because all of all these because you know and then so the rise of easy invest easy investing too through apps so you've got astrology that's good booming popularity through apps and investment so you've got this kind of parallel where these two two worlds combine with a growing uh you know a group of, of investors and then you probably do because if they're if, if if all of a sudden you've got this huge cohort of people that are following direction from the stars, even if it doesn't actually do anything, they, again, just because there's so many people doing it, that's going to have an impact on how the market works. So maybe we should all be fucking following the astrology moves uh, and how they correlate to the market. I do note that crypto in particular does have a strong, yeah, uh, does does. A strong astro- astrological <laughs> yeah. angle on it. Uh, there are numerous people who are, who, are, uh, who are making a name for themselves being crazy into crypto and crazy into astrology, which is uh, it's pretty nuts. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually found this old article from 2019 uh, where it's in the FT called Star Power, The Strange Rebirth of Astrology. And uh, according to the Pew Research Center, about a third of Americans aged 18 to 29 believe in astrology, which by itself is crazy because that's not that's a third of Americans. That's not just women either. Uh, that's that's a lot of people. I'm trying to find this stat regarding CoStar specifically. What's, what's the inherent belief there? Is it that is it, I don't I don't quite understand what the like what the, when when you say sort of belief in astrology that the movement of celestial beings have any impact on your future like your, like your life You're literally like your destiny is in the stars yeah yeah exactly exactly well i mean if you if you believe in that then you must ultimately then also believe that no matter what you do that your your destiny is kind of already written for you yeah yeah, here's a crazy stat. Americans alone are spending upwards deep of two- today, folks. We're getting philosophical. This is yeah, love this shit. <laughs> America- Americans alone are spending upwards of two point two billion dollars annually on mystical services, and Fuck this is twenty nineteen. Two point two billion dollars on mystical services. That's quite some market. I bet you. I bet you it's higher now too. During yeah. the last two years, I guarantee you that's gone up. 
Because when you're at home and you've got nothing to do, you fucking lock down. You're just like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? I'll get into astrology. Fuck it. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Why, why not? <laughs> why not? I think, uh, yeah, there are the whole me. There, I think the rise of like astrology memes that you see as well. So you see it a lot with crypto things, but people saying Mercury is in retrograde. I remember that was. I don't even know what people, that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, does anyone know what it means? But, um, <laughs> but you just see that. I can imagine seeing that that kind of thing more and more. I think when you lock people up in, uh, you put place everyone under house arrest for a year or two. Like, is it any surprise that when they come out, they're maybe a, a more spiritually inclined one way or another? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to sort of figure out in my mind, real time, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think probably ultimately it's a good thing, right? People get more in touch with their being in existence, perhaps. I don't think you need to make a sort of a value judgment on it. I don't think locking people up was a good idea. No. Um, so like, I think it's just, it's just a product of what's happened. Um, I mean, yeah, no, I, think my, I, think, I think my point is, is that um, ultimately I, I, people, I, I still believe, I don't, I don't, I don't judge anyone for what they ultimately believe in. But my point is that um, you do control and have an incredible say in where you end up in life. It's not, just written in the stars that that you and and luck and all that sort of thing is not necessarily a byproduct of randomness although there is a massive element of randomness and chance in the world but that's a statistics and probability thing not necessarily a cosmic thing yeah yeah i mean ultimately you know i i but even then i don't even think that's specifically uh I think that becomes more of a personality issue where some people don't want to take responsibility or uh add care to their actions and they just want the excuse not to do it i remember there was um like uh with the the royal saudi arabian air force uh reading about how some chap who was uh, training these uh, young saudi pilots to uh you know to, to use uh raf well uh you know hawker typhoons and things like that not hawker typhoons sorry the uh, eurofighter typhoons mm-hmm. and the uh and the tornadoes and whatnot and, you know how to use them and uh, these guys would never study for their exams because they'd just say, well, uh, yeah, you know, if Allah wants me to pass the exam, I'll pass the exam. Uh, there's no need. I, I don't need to do it. And that, so it's just, you know, the, this is somebody who just doesn't, does not want to apply themselves. 100% foul, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you don't want that person flying a jet. Allah does not like planes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you don't want, yeah, you don't want to see people uh, say, well, or, or analyzing everything as some big spiritual event, right? Or yeah. seeing everything, every person they meet, every interaction they have as some kind of uh, huge deal that they must stress and get anxious over. You yeah, but, but on, on, the, on the same point as that, also to not overthink things either. It's like there is, there's literally some things just are completely random. Mm. They're not, at, at no point, would you ever have been able to control an event happening or not happening? It just happened. And so sometimes that's sort of when, you know, with that sort of roll with the punches and then, you know, it'll be what it'll be is that element of chaos. I think embracing chaos in the market is, is, is a really, is again, a point that probably not a lot of people put into their, uh, into their trading plans is that sometimes you just got to roll with the chaos yeah. yeah no yeah no one you can never predict everything 
even the best mm. people at predicting things can't do it. So you've got to uh, you got to be prepared for the unexpected. And, um, uh, speaking of speaking of people that fail um, pilot tests, this is completely <laughs> again. This is random. I was not expecting to have to bring this up today, but I saw today. Did you see? There's this story about this guy who's a BA pilot that has been sent to prison because he lied about his um, time flying in the air and, and his experience. And they found out. No, no, out. tell me about it. So on his CV, this guy, he's, he'd been a pilot for like the city flyer routes and like the small sort of jet routes that um, BA do. Um, and effectively there was an investigation for some reason into uh, someone must have flagged something. And um, so as a pilot, you have to register a certain amount of hours in order yep. to maintain you, you know, your you registration and qualifications and all that sort of thing. And he'd lied. And while he was still a registered qualified pilot, for the fact that he'd lied about his experience and time in the air was a significant enough deal that he's he's actually going to jail. And I was trying oh, wow. to think to myself, is that fair? Like there's there's a great deal of pressure put on pilots and they, they are they have an enormous responsibility but at the same time that seems overly harsh it's because he's endangering the lives of other people right but he wasn't because he was a good like he was a, he was a pilot he still was a pilot well it wasn't like he wasn't ever it wasn't like at any point like to become a pilot, it's not like he cheated in that point. It was just like after he became a pilot, he kind of then lied about doing what was needed to to stay. It's ah, it, but he was doing that in order to get more work as a pilot, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it. I mean, you you shouldn't lie about those things. It'd be like a doctor lying about you know being able to do a particular kind of surgery, I suppose. Or is it? Because if you've done that surgery, you just haven't. Instead of saying I've done, you know, you said you've done ten of them when you've really done four of them. Does that make you? Does that make you worse at it than someone? I think thinking? yeah. I think I think you got. I think you got to be honest. Uh, I mean, like you've got to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, don't get me wrong. It's when just... it comes to numbers, like it's all fine to say you did you executed something perfectly, or but even then that even then that's not honest. And when it when it comes to numbers, like you can't fudge that. You either did four or you did ten. You know. Yeah, you can't say like, <laughs> no, no, it's no. not one of those things where it's debatable. I'm not debating. I'm not debating. I'm not debating the fact that he lied. I'm debating the the punishment. Like mm, jail right. seems overly harsh. Like sack him. Yeah. I, I would say you would sack him, and you'd you'd ban him from becoming a pilot ever again. But jail seems harsh. It does seem harsh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm surprised at the sentence. I, hey, you want to you wanna really go down memory lane, uh, Sam? Do you remember hashtag neck nominate? Oh, yeah, I do, actually. My brother kept telling you, neck, neck nominate. Yeah, this is one of those old social media campaigns where you would neck a bottle of beer uh, while doing something, and there'd be a video of you doing it, and you would nominate someone else to do it. And people yeah. would compete for the craziest things was very big uh, to be doing as they necked it and now and it came to the uk and all uh, uh, but there was an australian helicopter pilot who did it while he was flying and then and then promptly lost his license i don't think he went to jail though that that well, that's that's impressive i was you know i was reminiscing about um old social media hashtags the other day do you remember the harlem shake 
Oh, oh yes, I do. The <laughs> traumatic scarring. I, 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 I wonder if like what's what's the modern equivalent of of some of the like. What, what's the modern equivalent? It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was, it, it, I think it was, you know, I think it was like well over like 10 years ago. Mm, I, yeah, I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe 11. <laughs> oh dear, oh, I, 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 just, I just, for some reason that, that came, that came back to me the other day. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I just did, um, it was just the, I think it was the LeBron James Miami Heat locker room meme video thing and it just came right. up with harlem shake it was like okay i remember now it's weird though isn't it like do you think viral viral media content is very time sensitive so if that had never happened but then someone had released it today would it have been more or less successful or would it simply not have been viral at all yeah it's i think it's, it's got to be a byproduct so you could you could actually probably go back through social viral trends and you could probably find a correlation to the market as well. Oh, this will be interesting. Yeah. What did yeah. Harlem Shake say? Was that when all the shorts got shaken out one day in New York? I'm I'm gonna suggest that there are more I have absolutely nothing to justify this theory, <laughs> but I'm gonna suggest that there are more viral um, things like that. I don't know whatever you want to call them during a bull market during a bull market absolutely then mm. when in recessionary times uh, and and bear markets i reckon that you'll find that those sorts of things dry up completely that's interesting because i mean sure. if, it, if we're going yeah. 10 years ago i mean that's still aftermath aftermath of uh, the financial crisis so things are still pretty rocky yeah, well, to a degree, if you if you think about them, the market itself had 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 a massive bottom, bounce, yeah. massive bounce out of that over like March. I think it was March '09 was the real bottom of the market. Yep, yep. And then it just that went the bottom. Boing, out of okay, there. okay. So it's February 2013 was when this went viral. So okay. we were pretty close to the, the the European sovereign debt crisis at that point. Before it or after it. Must be I think before. we're. I think. Well, it was a. It, it, the, arguably, the European sovereign debt crisis began during the first financial crisis, but it really came to a head in those early 2010 periods. Um, what we might find, we may find that that we, we should we should do some research on this. Is that the the really big viral things are, are at the peak of of a bull market? They're the top signals. Well, actually, in this case. I think it could be a bullish signal because so this is <laughs> after the bailouts. So this is post the this is just after the uh, the big bailouts for the likes of Greece, really. Okay. Um, so or this it's was, just in the aftermath of it. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is when so this, this is, is when Bitcoin boomed in twenty seventeen yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, but remember, Bitcoin was booming back then because people were kind of getting the idea that. Oh wait, this might be the the solution for the collapse of the banking system. Yeah, well, it well, was, was sort of the the Cypriot banking crisis kind of helped with that, and then the issues with the debt ceiling towards the end of the year as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of interesting. Uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, uh, comparisons you could draw with those things. I mean, what was uh, 
I'm just trying to think back to some of these really early, uh, early trending viral content. I mean, I guess if the Harlem Shake was released now, it'd be way more viral even than it was then because people have TikTok and it fits that kind of medium even better, right? Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm in two minds about this. I, whether it would have been even bigger or whether it would have just got lost in the noise. Yeah, true, true. Of Wait. too much. Because I think it's even harder, like people intentionally, like there's a whole friggin' um, like market industry for, for creating viral videos. Okay, okay, here's an interesting one. Would TikTok even exist had it not been for the Harlem Shake? Because this is exactly Ooh. the kind of content that ended up TikTok made really, really easy. So that's actually a really good question. I, I, I would, you would think probably not. Like mm, if they're, yeah. but I mean, yeah, that's a tricky one, that. Because it is. That's exactly the whole fusion of you know some some new music or random music that no one's ever heard of, infused yeah. with some dance and just a bit of general stupidity, in within a. 30 second clip that mm. is it is like it is literally what tiktok is <laughs> yeah at its finest what yeah what were some other ones that were well so more... i can't think of anything that's i'm like i'm trying to think i've been trying to think for the last 15 minutes about something that was as big as like the harlem shake but i can't think of anything it wasn't as big i remember when harambe got shot in 2016 there was a huge amount of different viral stuff that came out of it including hashtag dicks out for Harambe, which was a pretty memorable Twitter hashtag for that persisted for quite a long time. However, it was it was a sort of an external event that triggered all that rather than, you know, just an organic thing that came out of nowhere. We should get anyone listening today uh, should jump onto our Twitter page or something and, and tweet us some of the great viral videos of the last... I mean, what? So, what are we talking about now? Last 10, 15 years? That's sort of. The, or just a viral hashtag or some kind of. Um, something oh, that was Cinnamon big. Challenge. Do you remember the Cinnamon Challenge? The Cinnamon Challenge. Was that big, though? Was that a. Was that a. I mean, it was the thing. Was it, it like was Harlem Shake? Big, like, literally school. everyone was doing the Harlem Shake videos at the time. Hmm. And yeah, I, it I guess it depends on your age bracket as well. I suppose. Like, I couldn't tell you what. Like, I'm sure there's a massive thing now at the moment. When was the Tide Pod challenge? Oh, so, okay. So that's probably one. That wasn't, that was pretty recent. That was hilarious. That Was that 2019? That was, yeah, that had to have been within the last couple of years. <laughs> well, 2019 is <laughs> a bit long. You should probably explain what the Tide Pod challenge is. Yeah, so what is it, what's the uh, UK version of Tide uh, it's as like, a detergent? Um, aerial or something, isn't it? Or yeah, it'll be aerial. That'll be something it. like that. So laundry detergent pods. Fairy, pod, fairy, I think is the other one. Right. So the the, the pods that you put in your uh, in in the in with the laundry when you're putting on the washing. Yeah. Uh, this see this is one of these things that wouldn't have existed had it not been for the cinnamon challenge. So the yeah, whole point of cinnamon true. challenge was. Make someone eat something that they wouldn't otherwise eat or which they probably shouldn't eat. And which with the cinnamon challenge, I think it was what, a teaspoon of cinnamon? Teaspoon and you of had cinnamon. To, yeah, and you had to eat it without coughing or whatever. I can't remember. You just had um, to eat it, yeah, without just spewing it, exploding it out everywhere. So Tide Pod was just taking this to the next level where you heat where people were eating or pretending to eat uh. laundry detergent pods. 
Uh, and this was a very much an American thing because, of course, it's Tide Pod. It's not Aerial Pod Challenge. Um, so, all right, this is 20... Didn't ah, some kids die from eating one? Mm, uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't. Well, I mean, you're not made a widow, Mario. Um, Probably not good. It was definitely not good for you. Yeah. Apparently, Origins have been credited to a 2013 thread on the internet. However, when it actually became really popular, this has this is 2017. Yeah, 2017. So this is oh, wow. this is the first crypto bull market, really. So wow. it ties it ties in pretty well with that. That would you? It theory. does. Irrational, not just irrational exuberance, irrational stupidity. Hmm. Yeah, I guess exuberance uh, kind of. Uh... Do you know what? I bet you. I bet you. So when was the meme stonk? Boom. Was that last year or was that the year before? 2020, I think. Um, I bet you there was a viral, a really massive viral thing at that point mm. in time as well. We are missing an enormous elephant in the room here, which is with GameStop <laughs> and GameStonk, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the perfect uh, tie-in, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's the 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 meme. Because that was that was kind of that was that was not far off the peak of the market, too. <laughs> okay, what's the future one going to be, Sam? Eh? Come on, we'll we'll put on your mystic meg cap and tell us what the uh, what the the future hashtag viral meme that drives the market <laughs> will be. Well, so I don't know if these drive them. I think these call the tops now. I think I think mm-hmm. I've sort of changed it from being a bull market driver to being the example of human irrational behavior that mm. indicates so it's kind of like that thing where you know you, you kind of know when you're getting tips on tech stocks from your yep. gym instructor that you're kind of like or you know you're getting fucking by doge taxi taxi drivers telling you about buying the st- xrp the standard um <laughs> you, you kind of know then that shit's shit's gonna go south pretty quick and so it's going to, got to be the same thing, right? Is when you see a bunch of people online doing something viral that is fucking stupid, you kind of got to be like, ah, oh, the world's lost its mind. Things are going to go south pretty quick. And you're probably not going to be far off. I think, I think you're right. Uh, it definitely ties in with the sort of Which 1920s. ties crazy. in with the way that Saturn moves around the Earth. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that there's got to be a tie in there, right? <laughs> Big time. Ah, haha. Perfect. Perfect tie in here. Perfect tie in. Ah, we're, it's all coming together this episode, yeah. I must say. So many <laughs> interweaving topics. The launch, talking about crazy irrational behavior, the launch of the Omega X Swatch, Moon Swatch debut, which occurred last week, I believe. And this was quite something. Uh, Sam, are you, are you familiar with this phenom? I am not. You're going to have to explain it to me like I am a decade older than you. <laughs> uh, well, mate, it's it's a, it's a multi. This is a very interesting phenomenon because the, the age range is all over the place. You've got people queuing up outside swatch shops with their parents to buy these watches. So a little bit of context. Uh, Omega, the watch brand currently worn by James, Bra- James Bond, uh... Swiss watch brand, have a very, uh, very classic watch design called a Speedmaster, which yeah. is known as by watch fans as the Speedy. And uh, it famously went to the moon 
uh, once upon a time. It was worn by astronauts and they were using it. Uh, indeed, I think in Apollo 13, when they didn't make it to the moon, uh, a yep. moon swatch, well, a, not a moon swatch, a, one of the speedmasters was used by some of the astronauts in order to calculate uh, exactly you know, when to fire their rockets and whatnot in order to get back to Earth safely. So as a, Omega has done this theme to death, they will tell anyone and everyone, yeah. we, made a, we made a watch that went to the moon, guys. And so every year, pretty much, they announce a new limited edition of the Speedmaster. And they've done so many limited editions, it's, it's ridiculous. They really are taking the piss. But this time around, Omega is owned by the Swatch Group, which is enormous. And Omega, uh, it was probably Swatch's idea, but Omega and Swatch have gotten together to make uh, a Speedmaster, except it's a quartz movement, so it's a battery-powered movement, and it's made of plastic, but they're calling it bioceramic because it's a bit of it's plastic and a bit of it, a bit of it's ceramic, and they've it's used recycled material. It looks like a same Speedmaster. Exactly, and <laughs> not only that, it is they're in multiple colors, and there's oh, one for every planet, and the sun in our solar system so, so it's just a swatch then <laughs> it, it is a swatch but it's uh it's a swatch that looks like a speedmaster and uh and it's got you know the same chronograph it's got the same functions and whatever uh, so it's an incredible phenomenon and it's it's like rocked the the watch world in a very big way because it they didn't it seems to be a you know marketing just masterstroke but they don't seem to have been a really real lot they knew it would be big but they don't seem to have uh, realized how big it would be. All right. So they announced this, and like two days before it goes public, they've got this enormous. You can go, you can go on to, uh, you can go on to Swatch, and you've got you know a, a write up for each different one. You've got, and they're all called the mission to Mars and the mission to mission to the Sun on the back, and they've got an image of the planet. They're all. You know, they the, should. The they really should have done a collab with um, Jared Leto's band, Thirty Seconds to Mars. I mean, it would have been perfect, really. They probably they probably will at this point because they're clearly open to pretty much any uh, any of these they're, they're they're happy to dilute the omega brand in this way <laughs> however it's only announced like it's leaked like two days before and uh they're only available while well, they they've said that it's not a limited edition they're only available from certain swatch shops oh. so i think there's one in edinburgh and there's a few in london mm. and as a result uh and I, you know, I was in Edinburgh uh, a week ago, and on the day I was leaving, I was like, "Oh, I'll drop by the Princess Street Swatch Shop to see uh, see if I see it, take a look at these moon swatches because some of them are quite cool." And they sold for two hundred and ten pounds or two hundred sixty dollars, so very, very affordable. Yeah. And to give you an idea, Speedmaster will cost you five grand if they uh -huh. have them in the shop. So this is a very, very affordable watch. And each one, as I say, each one is different for each planet and solar system, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the queues are absolutely ridiculous. And oh, it wow. turns out that each shop had only been given about 100 or 150 <sighs> of these moon swatches. As a result, most people don't get one. And uh, in London, uh, the there were, had to be police there. People were saying, oh, wow. oh it's, it's close to riots. In Hong Kong, there were arrests being made because the crowd was getting unruly. <laughs> It's it goes absolutely crazy and it's completely divided a lot of the of the watch world because people who've spent lots of money on an Amiga are very pissed off. Well, some of them are. Some people are very glad that this is happening, but a lot of people are like, nah, that's not a real speedmaster. This is no. all this is all bullshit, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. However, it's like a, a great, it's an incredibly good marketing coup because the demand just went absolutely through the roof. Uh, and it's not a limited edition, so you're probably gonna see a lot of people wearing these things.
it's I, you know, it's interesting that, so it's a bit for me, this, this is a bit like when extreme sort of supercar companies like Lamborghini, Ferrari, more recently, um, sort of, well, maybe not so much Bentley, but anyway, Lamborghini, Ferrari, probably the two, uh, when they decide to make SUVs because right. they, make that money. they got them. Yeah. You can sell, you know, if you don't, if you don't sell to the masses, you're going to go out of business. Yeah. Um, and this, this is come sort of hit British shores with the Lotus car company, which has been around a very long time and they're doing their first SUV an all electric SUV. And it's interesting because I think it was last year. I also saw that um, tag Hua, um they did a super Mario watch, right? Yeah. Uh, they did it, but it was with their connected watch. So what it was, it was literally their connected watch with a red strap and just some super Mario brothers, <laughs> super Mario graphics on it. And I actually, I didn't buy one, but I was keen <laughs> until I kind of looked deeper at it and then realized all it was is just a, it was just a gimmick really to try and shift more product to a bigger, bigger market, but they didn't really alter the price point. Not, not like the way that Omega is clearly done, but it, yeah. what, what that tends to smell like to me is a company that's struggling now they may have they may have hit the golden jackpot with this one, yeah. But the reason for doing it seems like it's a bit of a desperation grab, or it is just a smart move to go right. We can't continue to function selling these exclusive watches into a market that's just not buying them for inflation reasons and for cost of living reasons, and you know people when people tighten their belts even even the people that can afford those watches still tighten their belts. And usually those kinds of discretionary purchases are the things to go. They're like, well, we need to sell more watches to more people. Um, it, it, it seems like it's probably, there's a signal in there somewhere. Big as time. Well, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's a, a regard. Like I'm not a huge Amigo guy, so I don't feel a huge amount of like, you know, Oh no, they've, they've destroyed the brand or whatever. Uh, but I do feel on Swatch's behalf that it's a masterstroke in that everyone like if you got your head screwed on, you're going to realize that inflation is going to destroy people's disposable income in the over the next several years, yeah. And uh, which are already being squeezed by a number of other factors anyway, especially for for younger folks. So by making something that's sort of semi-luxury and it is affordable and it fits in with the whole lifestyle brand thing, uh, is going to be really good. And if you're the first person, if you're the first brand to do it then you've got that first mover advantage and you're going to see other brands try and copy you. So I think it sounds like a board, see... board Ape Yacht Club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Similar, similar kind of idea though with the Board Apes, of course, it's a, uh, you know, it's a bit much, um, it's not trying to create sort of a connection so much with the past as, as uh, Swatch <laughs> is doing here. But I think you're going to see a lot more of these, um, what you would consider to be a luxury brand, try to make a more affordable option because mm. uh, people's disposable incomes are going to get wrecked over the next few years. Yeah, I, 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 and that tends then for me to think that some of the companies that have done so well over the last decade, so uh, LVMH and some of these luxury brands, and Ferrari again, the perfect example of a luxury brand, yeah. that. They're probably they might be they might struggle they might actually start to become some of the worst investments to be looking at in the market uh, over the next couple of years as this shit really starts to hit. Yeah, 
it'll be interesting to see well the 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 without going too crazy into into the watch world it was interesting that the announcement came a week before what is going on now which is the watches and wonders uh uh sort of roadshow in geneva this is where all the big swiss yeah, watch brands show off their new ones big stuff. and Amiga is, is generally seen as competitor, a main competitor to Rolex. The Rolex is way, way bigger. And Rolex, of course, is the opposite of allowing people to buy an affordable watch. Uh, and they, you know, they're very, very scarce. And your authorized dealers of Rolex will not will not give you one for a very long time unless uh, you appease them in some way or another. So this feels like self <laughs> throwing down the gauntlet. You do wonder if Rolex is going to do well in this, in this, uh, you know, this oncoming. Uh, very bad period or whether or not Rolex pieces like the Submariner which has seen a huge amount of inflation uh, of, of an inflated price over the past few years will actually become something of an inflation hedge or whether or not people will lose interest in buying it yeah that's an interesting idea about I, how how does how does heritage because Rolex has got I mean they've all got heritage to be fair but heritage will only get you so far as a business, they might struggle, but the actual value of their timepieces probably will do well because like you say, then it becomes, it almost becomes like some of those classic, you know, really high-end watches, um, some of those really exclusive rare goods, whether it be fine wine or jewelry or even some, you know, some fashion, uh, actually almost becomes like a hard asset yeah. And in, in inflationary times and in you know recessions, that they actually are probably not a bad store of wealth. Mm. Yeah, it's but uh, the, but the it, companies might struggle. Yeah, the margins. Mm. Those uh, those margins are going to be tricky. I yeah, I think it'll be very it'll be a very interesting few years. At the same time, with uh, the big sort of well, it's not sort of the big generation wealth disparity currently between the boomers and the millennials now that now the zoomers maybe i think the watch industry is really struggling to get the younger folks really into watches in a way that actually makes them uh, loads of money so you're getting yeah. loads of people who are in their 20s 30s uh, and their 40s who are crazy or crazy watch enthusiasts but ultimately it's not those people who actually make the money for uh, for the watch brand so as you were saying with uh, with with the cars making these SUVs in order to uh, make ends meet, ultimately understand when Porsche revealed the Porsche Cayenne, yeah. all of the Porsche 911 purists were very very upset at the yeah. move. But it at the same the time, yeah, it saved the company. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think the I think that this move will upset all the watch enthusiasts, who of course are a very vocal bunch, but they're a vocal minority. Yeah. And ultimately, the the market will that you know the the kids who want uh, a nice a flash enough looking watch are gonna gonna start buying these things. It's like what it's it's like you know you can you can moan to the hills about it, but it's kind of like if you want to buy these kinds of watches in the future, then you kind of got to accept that this is going to happen. Otherwise, the company won't be there to make these watches in the future. Yeah, yeah. Like like the example of Porsche that you gave. You know, if, if they didn't have if they didn't do the SUV, uh, there wouldn't be new nine elevens to buy. <laughs> what yeah sam what do you say let's think of another what's another sector where this hasn't happened yet but it's gonna happen where a previously expensive exclusive product is going to be you're going to get a cheaper version that's still kind of nice but it's going to upset the hardcore guys oh that's a good question i mean the watch watches are a natural thing that you look at the car the, the car industry definitely mm. as well um 
you know, like if Tesla's a good example because Tesla's, you know, are actually really, they're a luxury item. And even they knew that in order to sustain a company long term, they had to build cheaper models. Um, I don't know. I, I keep thinking about, about, I mean, it's a bit like, it's a bit like distilleries and stuff, right? They have their ultra premium stuff, but they've been doing it for years that they make more accessible stuff. Yeah. So they, so they, they've already figured it out. I can't really think of stuff in my head in industry that hasn't done that mm. at this point. You know, yeah, we funny. may, we may actually see it. Well, we kind of are starting to see it even in the NFT market, right? So I mentioned Board 8 Yacht Club <laughs> earlier. <laughs> this, this might sound bonkers to a lot of people, but it's so it's so out of reach to most people that they've done, you know, the variations of it. There was the Mutinate Yacht Club, which is a, a, a deviation from that, but still ultimately under the same umbrella. And I think they did another one. Was it like dogs or something? But they'll probably do another one with like, you know, with a greater volume and more accessible because they're looking, because ultimately I think what they're trying to do is to build a, a brand, a lifestyle luxury brand. And they're just doing it with NFTs. It's just a different form of luxury item. Um, mm. I, I was I was joking with somebody the other day. There was a video that went around about, sort not really a viral video but it got it got a fair bit of coverage about this guy in his post like oh, this my, my 13 13 year old girl buying her first board ape yacht club and it was actually really you know no 13 year old has three hundred thousand dollars to buy an nft but she did click the button um but then i was like you know this this summer's you know rich kid you know thing to have might not be a uh louis vuitton bag or a rolex it might be a nft and uh, and maybe that's and for, for these projects to survive long term and actually build these brands, they need to sell shitter NFTs. <laughs> I guess some of it, well, I mean, looking at some of the artwork in the NFT world, one does wonder whether or not whether or not that's possible, Sam. But look at but look at Louis Vuitton stuff, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. realistically, a lot of it looks like absolute dog shit. But it's got this prestige about it because of the brand, the brand, and, you know, the brand itself. And a lot yeah. of people think Ferraris are butt ugly, and some of them are. But it's Ferrari. The brand precedes the the aesthetic appeal. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, an interesting one. Balenciaga is one of those fashion yeah. brands where they are pushing the envelope with fucking hell. This is this is ugly. <laughs> And you're gonna pay huge amounts of money for it's it. It's like fucking it's Zoolander with the derelict collection. It derelict my balls, El Capitan. <laughs> I do wonder what inflationary times are gonna do to to fashion, uh, because you would think that the entire fast fashion industry, like it, all of the Inditex brands, they yeah. must. That's going to be tricky to keep going in a really inflate. That's a very globalization, uh, profit optimization, just on time inventory model. Well, they all and, almost died just in the pandemic. Mm, if only, if only. <laughs> I know we were so close. Yeah. <laughs> Here's hoping. Come on, next time. Next Come time. On, just one more pandemic. That'll do it. That'll get them done. No more Primani. Yeah, and then and then, well, with uh, with these with these businesses like with Inditex and that, um, 
I they, like they were they're completely fine using Xinjiang cotton and whatever, and yeah. they're completely while at the same time virtually signaling about them they being did not very give a fuck about labor. Exactly, and uh, yeah, so I, I I shed no tears for the uh, for the woes of Inditex. Um, not yeah, but I do think yeah, th this has to throw that business model upside down. So what does it actually look like? And like the seventies were a disgusting time for fashion, in my view. Apologies to any listeners who happen to have you know have some very cherished memories from the seventies, but. Did we have I, I, this discussion recently about fashion comebacks and that how that we would probably never see set like because we've seen the 90s kind of resurgence in fashion the yeah. 80s have been a thing that we think will probably come as well the 2000s yeah. have been all almost even sort of circled around again but this even the 20s to a certain degree but the 70s ah that shit not coming back mm. interestingly in the watch world uh, there are lot. There are plenty of uh, watches that were first conceived in the seventies, or uh, which is, became popular is, in the seventies, which have have managed to uh, stay in vogue very much. Is this but another what very the fuck happened in nineteen seventy two thing? Hmm. Right, uh, with watches, or do yeah, you mean like uh, they were all all of a sudden all these luxury watch brands kind of mm, really think, took off in seventy two. Ah, well, in so well, it's the late seventies, I think, is where you see some of the big ones, like uh, like the Audemars Piquet Royal Oak, sort of come into it, where they're first brought into into the picture. Speaking and, of, uh, of Audemars Piquet, did you see that it. crypto dude in New York that was shot, and he had a four hundred and fifty grand AP on his wrist? <laughs> um, I think it was an AP, and it, and they were trying to, they'd obviously been following him, or and he'd been like you know, being a crypto bro on, on social media, flashing it around. And so they've tracked him and they've tried to steal it from him. They've shot him for it. They obviously also not really realizing these things have got anti-theft mechanisms on it. So they couldn't get it off his actual wrist. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if you're spending $450,000 on a watch, um, yeah, there's some pretty sick anti-theft tech in there as well. I'm not exactly sure how it this. works, but it seems to work because they didn't get it. Damn. Damn. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah that's, it's like wearing ha uh, having a suitcase handcuffed to your uh, to your wrist. Eh? It is. It is. But then I think I would rather have a watch that somebody could steal as opposed to having them have to shoot me and cut my hand off probably for it. Did that guy survive? Yeah, I think so. I think a friend of his, a female friend of his put like the, the dude that tried to rob me into a MMA chokehold or something until the police came. So I think they actually nice. sort of he was he was all right in the end but that's all let that be a warning to you don't go flashing your flashing your shit on social media folks yeah or just don't yeah. have that shit like who the fuck needs a four hundred fifty thousand dollar watch really got got a flex got a flex bro got flex bro massive, you know massive flex I've, th I've thought this numerous times during this conversation so far sam but you know, none of this happens during uh, the XRP standard, you know? <laughs> right. So, I mean, uh, we should have really led off with this because we could talk for another hour about uh, the one of the founders of Ripple, Chris Larson, and his $5 million campaign with Greenpeace to um, basically advertise for Bitcoin to change its code to switch from proof of work to proof of stake to save the environment. I I would I've completely no idea about this Sam. Oh wow, like, you've missed this. We need to cover it. this next podcast because this is a big this is a big discussion. I've met 
I've met and interviewed Chris Larson where no one knew the fuck what Ripple was. And, and he was a bit of a weird cat then. And he's a weirder cat now. And he doesn't really have much to do with Ripple, but he's, he's launched this, he spent $5 million on, a, on an advertising and publicity campaign about bit, changing Bitcoin's code from proof of work to proof of stake because of the environmental impact of Bitcoin. And it uses all this debunked research that Bitcoin's going to increase the, the temperature of the world by 2%. And it uses more power than countries and all this sort of shit that has been debunked time and time again. But he's come out and spent all this money on trying to, trying to change Bitcoin's code. And everyone's like, dude, if you want to change the code, it's really fucking easy to do. Just go and do it. The tricky part is getting everyone else to agree to use that code. So good luck with that. But yeah, good luck getting Greenpeace to get everyone to agree with that. Yeah, well, not only that. So everyone's now lumping on Greenpeace because everyone's like, most Bitcoiners were actually kind of in that camp of, you know, we should be greener and cleaner and we can use renewable energy to mine Bitcoin and all this sort of stuff. And then Greenpeace have come out with this shit with Larson and they're just like, fuck you, Greenpeace. You're fucking, you shit. You're the worst thing in the world. And just as a coincidence, believe it or not, and I found this out during all this, and this is a coincidence, really, because the, the origins of Greenpeace are, 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 it's just a coincidence. But Greenpeace was founded, I think, in 1971 or 1972. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I would, the, I would suspect that Saturn had something to do with it around that time as well. Ah, yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. You know, I found that, you know, earlier, uh, yeah, it was just last week, I uh, found another what went wrong in 1971 uh dude audie murphy one of the winners of the medal of honor uh and who was a very who went on to become a um a movie star uh fine upstanding american civilian he also died in uh in 1971 i believe in a, in a plane crash aged 46 he was a, a true a true hero of the of the second world war but you know yet another victim of 1971 but sam we are getting on a little bit of time uh, full yeah time and with... my cat has just had a crap and it stinks so <laughs> <laughs> hey must have uh, it's probably saturn's fault uh, my, my my cat's just heard the, the the junk we've been talking about for the last hour and just said this is what i think of you guys know. All right, Sam, you want to rate your beers and then we'll uh, we'll head off for this episode. Yeah, if I pass out, it's, it's the cat. Um, so the second one I've been drinking is the Camden off-menu IPA. Uh, Camden's actually a pretty well-known beer brand, but I've never had their off-menu IPA because I don't even know what it really means. Um, it says our ideal IPA wasn't on the menu, so we made it. Resisting piling up a variety of hops like toppings on a burger, we held the pickles and did things our way. Sometimes they, they talk such shit on these fucking mm. things. Sandwiching together light malts, clean Cali ale yeast, and early harvest Simcoe hops, just what the brewers ordered. Um, done their way. Suitable for vegans. 5.8%. Um, it's actually really nice. Camden do do good beers. The Angelo Peretti. Um, Birifico. Uh, very actually quite a nice lager. Quite easy to drink that. Um not as good as a Bira Moretti um, or the variations that they do, but um, I'd probably give that an, an A. And the Camden off-menu IPA is actually quite nice. I've, I've enjoyed that quite a lot. So I would give that a um, B minus. Do we do it? We do a B minus, don't we? <laughs> I haven't, I haven't yeah, B minus works. Yeah, give that a B minus. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, just, I believe the episode after next, I may be able to finally start drinking beer again on this podcast. But we have one more episode at least where uh, I shall be sober and Sam shall be drinking. That's all for this week. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. 
and we shall be back next week. In the meantime, if you uh, if you're interested in, uh, you know, well, actually, if you if you want to share any of the uh, past hashtags or viral trends mm-hmm. that uh, you think coincide or compare well with market movements, do let us know on our Twitter at Booze Booms and Bus. That's all for this week, though, and we'll see you in the next time. Bye bye.